This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, November 29th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. It is Giving Tuesday, and we're working to benefit the Greater Chicago Food Depository today. Text IMPACT to 91999 to donate. Santa Claus at the center of a troubling supply and demand situation. We'll learn about that in our next segment. Right now, reports on home prices and consumer confidence lead today's data. Let's break them down with the help of Carl Ricadana, chief U.S. economist with BNP Paribas, based in New York. Carl, thanks for joining us today. Uh, let's talk about home prices uh, declining for the third straight month. And uh, if you're the Fed, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, good afternoon. Thanks for having me back on the program. Uh, it's it's probably a, a, a welcome development uh, to monetary policymakers. They need to see some of the froth taken out of uh, various speculative markets. We we see it in the crypto space uh, for sure. Um, we see uh, a much more orderly uh, uh, realigning of valuations in the housing market, and we can see it in things like equities as well. Um, this is all part of the broader shift from the extremely accommodative policy during the p- pandemic. I'll say hyper-accommodative uh, to much more normal conditions. So uh, the Fed knows that, that housing prices uh, need to come back down to earth. Uh, the rental market needs to uh, cool down as well. Uh, and we can see the uh, early stages of this uh, starting to come about. I should add that uh, home prices in year-on-year terms are still up about 10 to 11 percent. So uh, while we're seeing monthly declines, we are still uh, definitely in the green for 2022. Right. It's all a matter of perspective, but uh, price did slide nationally 1% from uh, August into September. And as you said, uh, it's a welcome uh, data point for the Fed. It's not quite pivot uh, pivot time yet, but it's if it, they're heading in the right direction. It's not pivot time uh, yet, that's uh, for sure. Uh, it could be a downshift time. And in fact, we expect uh, the messaging uh, to uh, crystallize around that as we head towards the uh, December meeting. There's a, a Powell, uh, Fed Chair Powell uh, speech uh, tomorrow. Uh, I think he'll uh, firmly uh, lean towards uh, downshifting from this uh, three-quarters of a percent uh, pace of increasing rates at each meeting uh, down to uh, 50 basis points or half a percentage point uh, per meeting. Uh, we look for that in December, also at the next meeting in the February and then the Fed will start to look for that uh, that pivot or the, the pause, I should say, rather than pivot uh, around the March meeting uh, or uh, sometime in Q2 of next year. So the Fed has, has pushed us into a more normal level of interest rates. That's slowing down uh, the economy. We can see it in interest rate sensitive sectors like housing. Uh, and it's starting to spread more broadly into the economy uh, as well. 
Of course, this is all a welcome development to cool those uh, uh, decades-high inflation pressures that we're seeing uh, in uh, in the consumer price basket. And then very quickly, uh, consumer confidence down just a tick per the conference board in the month of November, and yet they spent in record amounts on Black Friday and again on Cyber Monday. They are still spending, but uh, we know the Fed has uh, has its foot on the brake pedal now. So uh, whether it's the pace of hiring, which we'll get another important update on Friday, uh, or the pace of spending, uh, the brake pedal is engaged, and this will ultimately uh, slow down these uh, these sectors of the economy. Carl Riccadonna, Chief U.S. Economist, BNP Paribas, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, dealing with the shortage of Santas. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Demand for Santa Claus is up this holiday season, but there aren't nearly enough Santa's helpers to fill all the chairs. Let's get an update on this troubling situation from Mitch Allen, founder and head elf of HireSanta.com, based in Dallas, Texas. Mitch, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, this is the uh, most wonderful time of your year, I would imagine. And uh, what is driving this uh, Santa shortage? Well, glad to be here. And yes, it is a uh, demand-driven shortage. More people are wanting Santa than ever before, uh, whether it be a home visit, a retail establishment, or a mall-type setting. More people are reaching out to hire Santa to help associate their brand uh, with Christmas. And also just sort of to get back to a sense of normality or a sense of tradition uh, coming out of COVID. Now, is this simply a case that a lot of the uh, Santa's helpers uh, who were at the malls and at stores and, you know, had the beard and the belly that shakes like a bowl full of jelly uh, decided to retire? Yeah, you know, that's right. Over the last uh, so two, two and a half years, uh, you know, we lost a great number of Santas, whether it be that they decided to hang up the red coat. Uh, and let somebody else uh, fill fill the, the shoes of Santa. Or, uh, unfortunately, you know, COVID hit the Santa community pretty hard. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, Santas are at a high likelihood for a negative outcome if they get COVID. Uh, because, you know, as you said, uh, they're, they're a little bit uh, older uh, and a little bit more jolly than average. And then uh, I remember doing a story talking to a shopping mall Santa in suburban Milwaukee about 20 years ago and then just hearing all of the stories uh, that shopping mall Santas get in terms of requests from children uh, that are all over the place. And you really do need a certain type of temperament and you really do need to meet kids where they are. And it sounds like there is, is a need not only for just the what you would call the traditional Santa, but uh, a diverse Santas, Santas who can are fluent in American Sign Language, uh, and, and, you know, just Santas that have a great deal of talents. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, you not only have, need to be uh, have a real belly, real jolly, and a uh, uh, real beard, but also having that temperament uh, is very, very important. That twinkle in your eye, that love for Christmas, uh, and spreading the, the love and joy of Christmas. And you're right, um, the diversity of our Santas has uh, definitely increased, and the demand for diversity, whether it be a black Santa, whether it be a Spanish-speaking Santa, or American Sign Language, a deaf Santa, uh, are those are all on the rise this year, and we think that's a trend that's going to continue uh, moving forward. And on top of that, uh, Santa, who knows how to answer the question of what do you want for Christmas, little boy or girl, and they say, I want my dad back, or I want some sort of stressful thing in my life to go away. Yeah, no doubt. It's a... Uh, you know, it's it's not only being um, sort of an entertainer, but it's a, sort of a therapist in some ways. And, you know, you can't promise things and you can't 
Um, you know, you can't do those th- uh, promise things that are not possible. And so Santa really does have to make sure uh, that he is speaking to the child uh, in a loving fashion and meeting them, as you said, uh, where they are. Now, this, I mean, it's, so that's it's more than a job. It's it's community service in in, in a way. And uh, if you're listening right now and you say to yourself, you know, I got the look, I got the time, I got the temperament, I want to give back in some way, where do you go? What do you do? Yeah, so, you know, if you have that twinkle in your eye and, and have the look, uh, go to HireSanta.com. And up in the, up in the right-hand corner, there's a, a link for Santa Jobs. And just fill out that form, and if we don't use you this year, we'll definitely use you uh, in years to come and help you, uh, if you've never been Santa, to uh, make sure you have the right suit, make sure you have the right look, as well as are able to answer all of those Santa questions. And and on top of that, uh, Mrs. Claus is also in demand as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mrs. Claus uh, is an integral part of the Santa uh, tradition this year, and it's growing every year, whether it be story time with Mrs. Claus, baking uh, with Mrs. Claus, or just a story time uh, with Mrs. Claus, we're getting so many more requests for Mrs. Claus. And it's really great um, for those entertainers uh, that enjoy playing Mrs. Claus. And then then for people who do it, for the Santa veterans, for the Mrs. Claus veterans, you know, what do they tell you when December 26th rolls around? (laughs) You know, it's sort of a a mixed thing that they get there and they're they're really exhausted after a very long season. Uh, Many of these Santas appear on set three or 400 hours from the beginning of November through December. So it can be an exhausting uh, season, uh, but then also it's bittersweet because at, at the end of it, you're like, oh, it's going to be 11 more months before they get to, to be Santa again. So uh, th- it's sort of bittersweet once uh, Christmas is over. And Mitch, as we all know, uh, Santa then retires to uh, Santa's Village in Dundee, Illinois, to uh, kick back and relax during the, the warm summer months. At least uh, that's that's what I was told. Uh, Mitch Allen, founder and head elf of HireSanta.com, based in Dallas. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, making sure your charity dollars make an impact on this Giving Tuesday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. This is Giving Tuesday, a time set aside to help charitable organizations achieve their missions. Let's get some direction to making sure you're getting the most value from your donations. We welcome in Michael Thatcher, CEO of CharityNavigator.org, based in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Michael, thanks for joining us today. And first off, we've got to point out, this is the 10th anniversary of Giving Tuesday. That's correct, and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, giving Tuesdays a celebration of giving, and it's grown from a small project out of the 92nd Street Y in New York City to now being in 85 countries around the world. And when you're thinking about uh, donating to some sort of worthy cause today, uh, what are some rules of the road when it comes to uh, uh, donating to charities to make sure that the money uh, that you you donate actually goes to the stated mission of the charity? Great question. And I think ultimately you want to first and foremost know that there's alignment between the mission of the organization and the change you're trying to see happen in the world, right? Where causes are things like education, working on the environment. Those are all things you want to have that alignment. And then you want to actually know that it's a legitimate charity, right? It's registered with the IRS. And that's where going to a platform like CharityNavigator.org can help you figure out what's real versus what's not real. You then want to know that they're financially sound. You want to know that they have good leadership. And if you can, you want to see, do they actually, are they, can they actually articulate the results that they've achieved 
with money they've received in the past. And Ultimately, then, you're looking for impact. And it was on the impact side of things. Um, is there any way of knowing that you know what you spend actually goes to to their efforts to solve the problem and not salaries or administrative costs or more fundraising? That's um, actually spelled out through the the ratings that we have, and it's also you can find this on the IRS tax forms. But it shows you how much money is going to program how much money is going to fundraising and how much is going to admin. Ultimately, where the money goes is it's interesting, but it's important is what the money does. And so you want to see the impact that they achieve with whatever money you give them. And then has over the last 10 years, has there been a greater desire by potential donors for that level of transparency? I think so. If I look at just the, the number of, like, let's say, our organization as a case in point, We've seen almost a 50% increase in visitors coming to our site trying to figure out, help me find a good charity. So people are actually looking for this information. They're also demanding impact more than anything else. And so that's now also part of our ratings, is to really let you know what's the cost per outcome. And the outcomes are these known things that we're all investing in, which is the difference we're trying to see in the world. Michael Thatcher, CEO of CharityNavigator.org in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Arrests have been announced in the deadly shooting of a 12-year-old girl in Chicago this past March. President Biden urges lawmakers to pass legislation that would prevent a railroad strike this week. In Travel Tuesday, we'll learn strategies to make a multi-generational trip fun for everyone. And TV numbers for Soccer's World Cup are exceeding expectations. WBBM Business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 84 points. The NASDAQ is down 100. The S&P 500 is down 19. AccuWeather says clouds and breaks of sunshine today, windy and milder with a shower or two later on. A high today of 58, 57 degrees right now at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, two arrests have been made in the killing of a young girl in Chicago this past March. 20-year-old Abdul Ali and 22-year-old Malik Parrish are accused in the shooting of Nizaira Moore. CPD Chief of Detectives Brandon Dinahan says an anonymous tip helped build the case. We talk so much about the technology, but we always, um, you know, we need somebody from, from the community, from inside, to help us out and point us in the right direction. The 12-year-old was in a car with her family celebrating her birthday when she was struck by gunfire. She died a few days after she was wounded. During a meeting with leaders from both political parties, President Biden has said lawmakers should swiftly pass a measure to end a dispute between railroads and unions, avoiding a strike next week. The president is urging Congress to adopt in full the agreement reached in September between railroad bosses and labor leaders. That even though workers in four unions rejected it, citing a lack of sick leave. 
1992, then-Senator Biden was one of just six votes against ending a rail strike. Mr. Biden, no. Thirty years ago, he argued, the measure ending a two-day strike favored the companies over workers. But now President Biden says the economy would be put at risk if railroads shut down. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, Washington. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are lower today. We're joined by Matt Shapiro, president of MWS Capital based in Chicago. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Kind of a subdued day of trading so far. Yeah, Rob, you know, we've had a really good month. And, and, you know, I think a lot of investors have noticed quite a bit of improvement in their account statements and things like that. But we're kind of at a holding period um, remember, this past month, interest rates, especially long-term interest rates, have fallen quite a bit. We got some pretty decent inflation numbers. And a lot of the fundamental-style stocks, i.e. the ones in the Dow Jones Financial Companies, J.P. Morgan, have started to turn quite higher. But still, of course, the NASDAQ has been very difficult. So investors have this conflict right now between all those big stocks, the Apples, the Googles, Amazons that had you know, been the primary drivers of the market over the past decade, you know, now still being under pressure even today, you know, just out of nowhere, the NASDAQ's just down, you know, 97 points. And then it's just extremely volatile. So not much is really going to happen until tomorrow, last day of the month, when Jerome Powell delivers, I think, an authoritative statement on the path of short-term interest rates. The Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. It also seems like uh, investors have uh, maybe not have fully gotten over their China concerns, but they seem to have some uh, uh, data points that are uh, signs of comfort. Right. You know, that's obviously it's the other side of the world. We have very little control over what's happening uh, over in China, but we're also very dependent on it. You know, two of our biggest companies, Apple and Tesla, Tesla assembles and sells a tremendous amount of cars in China. It's been their ma- one of their major uh, you know, drivers of growth, where our iPhone assembly is dependent on China. So, you know, obviously, uh, China cannot allow, because they don't have as big a healthcare system as we do, and they've pursued the zero um, COVID strategy, Uh, You know, that's really affected investors, but there's also a lot of support for the Chinese market. So I wouldn't, you know, bet against China long term, but it's going to take some time for that story to play out a little bit, Rob. China is a lot more integrated into the world economy now compared to 33 years ago when the Tiananmen Square protests, you know, there was that bloody crackdown there. Um, Because of that integration into the world economy, and it is definitely a global player now compared to three decades ago, Does would that inform or would that impact the way China responds to protests in 2022, knowing the whole world is watching and knowing it would have a sub- substantial economic impact on them? Well, one would think, Rob, but, you know, obviously they are pursuing a sort of Orwellian sort of control situation. You know, we have obviously a very free society. And so there is a sort of long term conflict that we share economic, you know, we're, you know, U.S. and China have shared economic priorities, but of course, completely different systems. Now, I will tell you this is that, you know, think of back three years ago during the coronavirus year, the market's doing terribly, but everything came back. So hopefully a similar situation 
and China, and that, you know, obviously it would be better if relations were better uh, between us and the United States. And I have to say one thing, if China got really red hot with a super reopening, that might negatively affect commodities prices, i.e. they would go up and negatively affect inflation. So maybe a little bit of this sort of back and forth is probably good for our U.S. inflation numbers if, if there's a little bit of a, a silver lining. And that's going to be really critical when the Fed, because that's the main driver of our market, is the trajectory of short-term interest rates. And we'll find out more tomorrow with Powell Speaks. Matt Shapiro, President MWS Capital, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, putting together a trip involving several different generations of the family. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WB BBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, and this afternoon we're putting a spotlight on multi-generational trips. Let's get some insight from Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors, based in Scottsdale, the website travelbta.com. Angie, thanks for joining us today. And uh, families are big and complicated and have lots of uh, competing interests, and uh, I'm sure all of those factors come into play when you're booking a multi-generational trip. Mom, dad, kids, grandma, and grandpa. I agree. You totally have to pay attention to the different personalities and the different dynamics in the group. So even within a family, there's different demographics, looking at the age, the gender, whether people are married with small children, single, and whether or not you have more active grandparents or people that have to really balance the level of physical activity they can endure on a vacation. And then especially uh, if you're doing a multi-generational trip with young kids, I mean, we had this experience uh, back in April. We took a big multi-generational family cruise. And uh, if you have little kids, basically, if you're picking a shore excursion, it's, are you going to the beach? Because uh, that's basically all they want to do. And you got comp- you got to take that time commitment versus someone who wants to go shopping or somebody who wants to see historical sites. Yes, you really have to discern what is the interest of the group and also the interest of the individuals within the group. I always have to remind uh, our clients that even that two-year-old is a little human that has a mind of their own. And you have to balance the activities that are going to allow for a vacation that truly is going to be value added for the entire family. You want to get together to grow as a family, to connect as a family, not to create frustrations. And so it's important to balance the overall itinerary so you're spending time together. But you also have to be very mindful that you're going to need time apart. And part of that is going to be just simply the the component of relaxation, but it's also going to be finding opportunities to create excursions and activities that may appeal to one person and not another. I think safaris, for example, are a fantastic way for families to get together because you have a nice mix of activities and you can also find opportunities to gather together or separate. You might have women who want to spa, someone else who wants to sit by the pool. And what's great about the the time on safari is that it's really an opportunity to experience something different, to really see the wildlife and to explore nature. It's very active, yet it's not necessarily physical. The activity you're probably going to get is more on property, utilizing the gym equipment, less uh, the time that you spend on safari. So it really accommodates to um, families quite nicely, young and uh, even grandparents. Now, Angie, uh, as you plan these trips, uh, how often do you have to step in and play the role of mediator? 
I agree. I mean, there's definitely a psyche to what we do. I think it's important that our clients recognize that when we're not just listening to the lead traveler, the person who contacts us and and, um, plays the part of representing the family, but it's also important that as an advisor that we talk to the different um, families within the multi-gen group. So if older sister is planning the trip, I also want to connect and our team will connect with grandma and grandpa. We'll also talk to um, the brother and, and, and maybe the sister-in-law and get their take on what's important to the experience. And then getting the family together, whether it's in person or over Zoom, and even talking to the children and getting a good understanding. And sometimes you have to ask uh, uncomfortable questions to say things like, you know, is there a child that is more likely to get stressed in a situation? Or are we a family that wakes up early? Or are we a family that um, stays up late? And those questions can really and, and answers to those questions can really help us build a customized itinerary that takes into consideration, you know, dietary restrictions, medical issues that we need to be aware of. And also, you know, a, you know, issues with children and adults where, you know, maybe you have a child who, um, you know, has a lot of um, behavioral issues, but at the same time, we want to do our best to allow for a family vacation that doesn't, uh, uh, that allows that child to thrive in, on, on vacation versus um, not necessarily having the resources that they're used to having at home. So we really take that element. I think that's probably what we do best when you're working with advisors is that we really pay attention uh, to the dynamics of a family when planning a multi-gen trip. Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, the website travelbta.com. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The World Cup setting new records for legal betting and TV viewership. Let's discuss the latter with Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vertair Group based in Chicago. Tim, thanks for joining us today. It seems at first blush that some of the games, especially the games in which the United States is playing uh, are real winners for Fox. Yeah, uh, Rob, the, um, uh, I, I think the expectations were uh, fairly high uh, already for viewership. Um, but uh, I think even Fox is probably surprised at just how well uh, the games have been performing overall and especially the U.S. games thus far. Uh, I think the... Um, uh, the the, uh, the discussion will, will happen after the tournament as to why, but certainly uh, the oddity of this uh, this version's uh, occurrence during the holiday season may have something to do with it, um, especially the U.S. with Thanksgiving and people home and looking for excuses to watch stuff. And frankly, it's also had a very nice um, additional effect uh, for live sports and Fox uh, generally. That uh, last weekend, I mean, uh, the college football uh, Big Ten matchup between um, Michigan and Ohio State uh, broke records, as did the NFL game on Thanksgiving Day that was the lead out from the uh, U.S. soccer game against England. So, um, you know, it's a commitment to live sports that Fox has made a big effort on over the last number of years, and it seems to be paying off in spades, uh, and in particular the World Cup. The uh, U.S.-England game on Friday afternoon, that was a nil-nil draw. Even so, it pulled in 15.3 million viewers on average. It peaked at close to 20 million. And as one observer pointed out on Twitter not too long ago, uh, that is higher than the uh, World Series ratings for the last five years, with the exception of Game 7 in 2019. 
Yeah, and, the, and look, the trends of obviously a baseball's uh, uh, decline in terms of viewership as, uh, as uh, audiences for that tend to get older, younger audiences being more interested in soccer generally, for sure. Um, you know, I think the growth of Major League Soccer has certainly helped. Uh, certainly the women's game has grown by leaps and bounds. Um, and I think there's a whole bunch of uh, sort of other uh, sources there. And, and look, also don't forget, uh, these games are also being televised uh, on Telemundo, uh, for the, who has the uh, Spanish language rights, and their numbers are uh, uh, being blown out of the water as well. So I think it's a rising tide lifting all boats. Uh, maybe it's the seasonality. Maybe it's just the uniqueness of, of coming out of COVID and looking for live sports. Um, whatever the reasons, uh, it is a good time to be in live sports and, and soccer. The World Cup in particular is certainly benefiting. Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Verter Group in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that both works online and with the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.